Good morning to you. We are in the second week of a series on Psalms, Prayers from the Heart. And uh, the first two weeks, last week and this week, we're looking at the Word of God as the foundation for the other Psalms that we'll look at. A couple of the Psalms deal with the Word of God. They teach us about uh, this holy book from God. Do you remember last week, Psalm 119, and today, Psalm 19? These are prayers that come from the heart, because our Lord Jesus said, out of the heart the mouth speaks. So whatever's in here, including the prayers, the stuff we pray about, comes out through our hearts. So today we look at, once again, the Word of God. Now this is an interesting psalm because um, it begins with the Word of God, but not a spoken word. It is a silent word. You might, you might say it's a non-verbal word, the word of the heavens. There's communication that takes place with the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, nature, trees, atoms, cells. There's communication that takes place, a silent, non-verbal depiction of God. Then he moves to the written word of God, the Torah, the, the wisdom, the, the law, the teaching of God. And then he ends up with our words, our prayer, our response to these words from God. Okay, so that's the sort of the divisions. We look at the silent word of the heavens first. And we see it there in verses 3 and 4. If you still have your Bibles open, uh, keep them there beside you. Verses 3 and 4. There's no speech. There's no language where their voice is not heard. Who's there? Their voice. What's it talking about? talking about the heavens. There's no speech. There's no language. But, but there is communication throughout the world where their speech is heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words, I suppose you might say, their nonverbal words throughout this world. So what do we learn about God? What's he communicating to us about himself through the skies, through the heavens? Well, one thing we learn is that God is creative. There's great variety in the skies. There is lightning. There are rainbows. There are clouds cumulus, clouds stratus. There are planets, there are moons, there are comets, there are quasars, there are black holes and red dwarfs. All the variety of the skies tells us something about the artist or the creator of these skies, that he is creative. He's wise. He knows what he's doing. He is complex. Now, some of you are studying science right now, or some of you are scientists, maybe even astronomers. You know a lot more about this than than the rest of us, but the heavens are enormously, enormously complex. Well, who figured all that out? Who planned all that? Who created all that? The God behind it. And the heavens are his canvas. He's painting like an artist a nonverbal communication. He's big. He's powerful. He's smart. He's wise. He's complex. 
<coughs> a few years ago, my church, which was North Shore Community Baptist Church, sponsored a uh, square dance. Have you ever done square dancing? I have never really done it before. It's a lot of fun. And uh, we had a professional caller. You know what a caller is? The guy who, you know, gives you the directions. do si do and swing your partner and all this stuff, you know. He was really good. And for, for, for most of us who had never done it before, he kept the instructions very simple. That, we, you know, we, we promenaded and we turned and we bowed and all this kind of stuff. Well, there was sort of like a halftime or sort of an intermission. And he had, <coughs> excuse me, Eight um, square dancers who knew what they were doing. They, they do it every week. They're kind of like on a team or something. He had these eight square dancers come forward and sort of demonstrate. And he called out these moves, stuff that he, he didn't even try to get us to do. It was intricate. They wove in and out. And they, they didn't bump into each other. And it was just this beautiful dance. Why do I tell you this? The heavens are spinning. It's very complex, but it's very ordered, and it's just balanced and beautiful and perfect, and God is the caller. Hurry up there, Halley's Comet. You don't want to be late. Spin suns and moons. Orbit planets. So when we examine the nonverbal communication, the, if you will, the word of the heavens, we figure out that God is wise and creative and complex and powerful. We also uh, figure out that he is big, very, very big. Do you know the size of the universe? We have the advantage on the psalmist because, you know, with our modern knowledge, Oh, we, we understand these things a lot better. It is, it, it is beyond our imagination. Let me see if I can give you an idea. <coughs> uh, let, let's say, let, let's take a trip on the USS Enterprise, okay? Come with me, come sit here right beside Captain Kirk. Or if you prefer, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. We are about to travel at the speed of light, at warp speed. Just warp one. 186,000 miles in how long? One second. You with me? The speed of light, okay? Boom! Punch it, Scotty! We take off. How long at that speed, 186,000? How long does it take us to get to the moon? Two seconds. How long does it take us to get to our sun? Eight minutes. It's a long way away. 186,000 miles per second. It takes eight minutes. How long does it take us to get to the, um, the object formerly known as a planet, uh, Pluto? <laughs> How long does it take to get there? This is just our own little uh, solar system. Five and a half hours. It's way out there. We're not even outside of our own solar system. How long does it take us to get to the closest star? What's the closest star? Is it Alpha Centauri? Does anyone know? I think that's right. How long? I mean, this is the closest one. How long does it take to get there? At the speed of light. 
4.5 years. How long does it take us to get to the edge of the Milky Way? Of the Milky Way is our own constellation. It's the, you know, our own gathering of stars. How long does it take to get to the outer edge of that? It takes 50,000 years. That's one constellation. How long does it take to get to the next closest uh, uh, galaxy? 160,000 years. How long does it take at the speed of light to get to the edge of the known universe? We actually don't know where it is. It keeps getting bigger, but, you know, with the current, with the current, uh, you know, estimates, how long does it take to get to the edge of the known universe? Are you ready? Speed of light. Scotty's got the warp cells uh, humming. It takes 12 to 13 billion years. And what are we supposed to make of that? What is the heavens? What, what, what is this silent word, this nonverbal, this artist on the canvas? What is it telling us about God? It's telling us He's big, He's powerful. There's enormous strength in his hand because he holds all of the creation like you and I hold a cup of tea. And so what is the response? What is the prayer from the heart that realizes the size, the grandeur, the regularity, the complexity, the beauty? What is the prayer that comes to this when we view the heavens? Here's what the prayer, here's what our prayer sounds like. It sounds like this. Wow. So when you pray, next time you're looking up into the clouds, next time you're looking up into the, the, uh, the uh, sky at night, that's your prayer. In biblical terms, this prayer would be adoration. Do you ever just adore God? Do you, just, just, you know, for who He is. Just, He's big, He's wise, He's creative, He's powerful. Wow. That's the prayer from the heart. You know, there's some kinds of prayer which are, we call it supplication. Please give me things. We, we, we prayed, you know, this morning, the stuff up on the screen. Please help this person. Please do this. Let's do that. And there's other kinds of prayer that say thank you. That's a very good prayer. Thank you. But then there's another kind of prayer that says, wow. And I encourage you to engage in worshipful adoration when you see the heavens. Alright then, without a word of transition, not a single and, not a single therefore, not a single uh, uh, con- contraction, we jump into the second group, the second, second kind of communication, and it is the written word. Silent word of the heavens, written word of Torah, or law, or wisdom. We have a new style. Suddenly the style in our psalm becomes very, uh, very poetical. Very, uh, there's a rhythm and there's repetition. Did you notice it as we read it? 
We have six terms for the law, the Torah of God, the law, the testimonies, the precepts, commandments, and so forth. And then we have a description. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. And then we have a result, or you know, what this, what this law does. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes us wise. The precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart and so forth. In the first part of the psalm, we have a different focus also. The first part of the psalm, when it talks about the heavens and the glory of God, it uses the Hebrew word El. You've heard El like Elohim or El Shaddai or uh, even as a prefix of a term like somebody's name. And it's a kind of a general word. We might translate God. But then in the second part, here in the Torah of the Lord, we have the word Yahweh. That is God's personal name. And so it moves from the general and the, the sort of the uh, theological, and it moves to the personal, God's personal word to us. It is perfect. It is sure. It is clean. It is true and righteous altogether. Verse 10 says that this law is sweet. It is more precious than gold, more, than, more precious than fine gold. It is sweeter than honey out of the honeycomb. Let me give you a little uh, cultural background. Uh, in the ancient world, in, in Israel, uh, it was a very non-saccharinized uh, world. It was not a sweet world. It was a pretty bland diet. They ate a lot of wheat and barley, didn't eat that much meat, didn't have a lot of salt. And the only real, the best sweetener they had was date syrup. They would take dates, which are pretty sweet, and squish them and they'd get the syrup. And then they'd use that for, you know, whatever, put it in their coffee or whatever. They, but, but honey is way sweeter, much more tasty than anything like date syrup or anything. But, here's the thing, they didn't domesticate bees. It's not like they always had a supply of honey. There weren't like bee farmers or whatever you call it. The only way you would get honey is if you just found it. You're just walking in the field and you know, there's a, a swarm of bees and there's a honeycomb and you found But if you found it, your reaction would be like, yes, God, this is so good, I'm so lucky, I found this. And the psalmist says, your written word, oh, it's so good, I'm so lucky I got this. It is sweeter than honey out of the honeycomb. Why does he say that? Did you ever read the Torah? Raise your hand if you've read the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Okay, you guys got to read this. I mean, Genesis is pretty cool, you know, creation and stories and Joseph and all this. And then, uh, you know, Exodus is pretty cool. Go through the Red Sea. You know. What happens after Exodus? Oy vey. <laughs> It's all these commandments and these laws and the sacrifices and, and how to build the tabernacle and, the, and just all this stuff. But the psalmist says, mm, 
Why? Because the Word of God does something. It transforms us. It makes us wise. It saves us. Here are some metaphors the Scripture uses for it to sort of describe itself. It is a hammer that breaks up a stony heart. It is fire that purifies. It is rain that replenishes the countryside. It is milk that nourishes a baby. It is a sword (coughs) that pierces our own conscience. And it's also a sword we use to battle the devil. It is a mirror that shows us our true selves. It is a lamp for guidance to illumine our path. And the psalmist says, "Mm, mm, mm, mm. Wow, that's good. Wow, that's good. C.S. Lewis tries to sort of help us understand this delight in the law of the Lord. And he says, um, let's say you're hiking uh, in England. You're on the old back roads, the old country, the winding roads, and you're taking a nice hike. <coughs> and you're planning to, uh, to hike a certain distance and to arrive in a certain village, you know, just as the sun goes down. And there's an inn, and you have a reservation at the inn, and there's a pub there, and there's a fire. Oh, and you can't wait. Okay, so you're hiking along, and the sun starts to go down. And you're nowhere near your village. And you think, oh, rats, what am I going to do? So you take a shortcut. It ends up being a long cut. You get off of the paved road, you go into the forest, and whatever light there was is now gone in the forest, and you can't see where you're going, and the dew is making you all wet, and you're tangled in the undergrowth, and you bump your head against a tree, and a branch whips you in the face, and you don't know what's going on, and you're hiking, and you're pressing forward, and then suddenly, you burst out of the undergrowth, by chance and you feel again the pavement underfoot how delightful and up ahead is the inn and the lights are on and C.S. Lewis says this delight in the law of God is the delight of certainty It is the delight of pavement underfoot. What does he mean? In this world, we have all sorts of standards of right and wrong. Do you know what I mean? Truth is up for grabs today. There's your truth, and there's your truth, and there's your truth, and all God's children got their own truth. And who can say, well, don't don't, force your view down on me, and and, uh, who's to say who has the truth? And C.S. Lewis says, In this topsy-turvy world of relativism, how delightful to rest upon the written word, the objective communication breathed out by God. How delightful is this Torah of God? Do you Do you feel that way about the scripture? 
If this is in your heart, if it's in my heart, what might our prayers sound like? It might sound like this. Thank you. If the word of the heavens prompts us to say, Wow! The certainty of God's taking the initiative to communicate with us, to reveal himself to us, the the solidity of the pavement underfoot causes us to pray, Ah, thank you. And then we move to the final word. This is a personal word. This is our word, our response to the silent word of the heavens, the written word of Torah. And here's the psalmist's personal word. It is this. Redeem me. Redeem me. It's a surprising turn of thought. We've just moved from the confidence and the buoyancy and us, sweeter than honeycomb, and woohoo, the word of God would just turn suddenly to when I look at myself, I'm aware of my own shortcomings. The, the, he talks about forgive me for willful or presumptuous sins. And then he says, and, and, and forgive me for sins I'm not even aware of. Hidden faults, hidden faults. And so the, uh, the silent word of the heavens and the grandeur of God and the written word of Torah not only causes us to say, ah, wow, it also causes us to kneel, to avert our eyes, because this holy God sees all. And so his personal prayer is, forgive me for my presumptuous sins. Forgive me for my sins I'm not even aware of. May the words of my mouth and the secret musings of my heart be acceptable to you. O oh Lord, my rock, my redeemer. And so the last part of our psalm turns inward, and it's, uh, it's introspective, and, our, and we, we examine our own hearts. I did that, oh, when was it? It was a while ago. I was at the, uh, the Bennett Center at Gordon College. Do you know the, the Gordon College on the North Shore? The Bennett Center is the, the exercise facility. There's a pool and a gym and you know, exercise. And I go there all the time. And I pulled into the uh, parking lot and it was totally packed. It was, you know, it was the wrong time of day. And there were no parking spaces. And I'm like, oh man, it's at lunchtime. I've got to go back. I, gotta, um, I need a parking space. And somebody started pulling out. Yes! I revved my engine ready to pull. Well, I was coming this way, and another car was coming around this way. had the same idea. I wanted to get in that parking spot, and my mind started going, oh, yo, 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 okay, if I, if, I, if I stick my nose in there, you know, she won't be able to do it. And okay, and I've I got to be fast now. And the car pulled out in such a way that it kind of blocked me. And that other car, whoop, right in there. 
I got so mad. I started thinking, how dare you do that? How dare you do the thing I was going to do? I can't believe you. And then I started thinking, what am I so mad about? What is in my heart? Apparently something kind of hidden, some, some hidden fault. I guess what was in my heart was, I am more important than you. My needs, my desires, my schedule, me. Bow before me, underlings. <laughs> and so we pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and the operation of my vehicle be acceptable to you. May the words of my mouth, the disposition of my heart toward my parents be pleasing to you. May the words of my mouth and the inner condition of my heart toward your goals in life, your desire for achievement, may it be acceptable to you. We need a rock, don't we? We need a redeemer. We need someone to save us and someone to cleanse the inner person and someone to transform us from the inside out, someone to change our hearts. And that's where the psalm ends. You are our rock. You are our, our redeemer. His name is Jesus. He saves his people from their sins. So we have the silent word of the heavens, God is great, and we say, wow. We have the written word from God himself, Torah, wisdom, the Bible, and we say, ah, thank you. We have a personal word of response. Have mercy. Dear Lord, please blot out our transgressions and cleanse us from our hidden faults because you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen.